Listener Production. Hey, welcome to The Briefing. It's the 3rd of February. It's a Friday. Tom and Jan back for a second episode. It's so good having you back, Jan. Mate, thank you so much. It's so good being back. I've missed I've missed our briefers. I really have. I have. And a forehead kiss to every single briefer out there. <laughs> Consensual, of course. Yes, I reckon they've missed you as well, which is why we're going to just have more of a chat with you today. Yesterday, we sort of got a little slice of what your life's been like over the last six months or so, but we're going to go deeper into that. Mm, I need a bit of a re-entry. I think you're right. Yeah. Mm. You've read a certain memoir as well. I certainly have. And I've also heard your opinions on this certain memoir that I'm keen to get into. And a bit of chat about this crazy situation with the pokies in New South Wales that we think might have led to the revelations about the Nazi costume for Dominic Perrottet and reveals how dirty this fight has become to reform pokies. Yeah, basically in celebration of TGIF, thank God it's Friday, we're going to have a little bit of a cash chat, the big stories that I have been keeping a close eye on, but also just, you know, some of the things that have happened in the last six months so we can reintegrate back into the workplace and then next week we're back on, baby. Right now, though, let's find out what's happened in the last 24 hours. Here are the big news headlines of the day. Hundreds of protesters gathered outside the funeral for Cardinal Pell in Sydney. Um, There were a few tense moments uh, as they chanted from across the road. They then marched down the street outside St Mary's Cathedral um, where they faced off with some Pell supporters. Uh, Two people were arrested. Meanwhile, inside the cathedral, former Prime Minister Tony Abbott had this to say. He was made a scapegoat for the church itself. He should never have been investigated. He should never have been charged. He should never have been convicted. Tony Abbott there speaking about Pell's charge of a historic child sex abuse, his conviction, um, and, of course, later uh, that conviction being quashed. Now, opposition leader Peter Dutton, the former Prime Minister John Howard and broadcaster Alan Jones were all there at the funeral. Notably absent, though, Tom, Prime Minister Anthony Mm. Albanese and also the New South Wales Premier Don Perrottet and Osho. Yeah, as expected. So I don't know what that Supreme Court case was about because the protesters still got to march down College Street and they definitely got their voice heard, but there were a lot of Pell supporters outside the cathedral as well. And um, some of your mates, Jan, the Maronite Catholics, Uh. (laughs) got pretty fired up. Uh, yes, my people, there were some um, Maronite Catholics there. Look, it's a, it's a topic where emotions run mm. very high, you know. Um, if you are a Catholic and you believe that George Pell is innocent, although let's remind people he was not found innocent by the court, he was found not guilty, there's two very different things, you would want to go out there and, and protest that. But overall it was relatively peaceful. Yeah. Yeah, I think what I um, took away from it was just some of the comments made by uh, Tony Abbott. He called Pell the greatest Catholic that mm. Australia has ever produced as someone who went to a Catholic school uh, founded by the Sisters of St. Joseph and they were founded by Mary MacKillop. So I think there would be some people who would argue that there are some greater Catholics that Australia has produced. Yeah, but he did rise to be the third most powerful Catholic in the world. So it was a an incredible life full of controversy, but from a Catholic point of view, full of achievements. Yeah, I guess. He also said that, um, I guess he compared George Pell to Jesus in some ways. Mm, Um, A modern day crucifixion. Yeah, he used that term, you know, the things that Pell had gone through. uh, Bit of a stretch? Just a bit. (laughs) 
<laughs> I reckon. I reckon there'd be Catholics who wouldn't be happy with that comparison, let mm. alone people who... People who really love Jesus have, probably don't like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, let alone people who've, you know, suffered at the hands of the church or have been victims of child sex abuse themselves. I mean, come on, that's a, that's a stretch. And in Alice Springs, hand sanitizer has been removed from some pharmacies over concerns people are using it to get intoxicated. And a decision on alcohol bans in Central Australia, including Alice Springs, are still in discussion and could take another week. So a new report suggesting the NT government introduced a ban across Central Australia before then giving communities time to develop their own individual plans on whether they opt out of those restrictions. The mayor of Alice Springs has said that the town's at breaking point from alcohol fueled violence. Yeah, there's been um, a lot of uh, community leaders there who do want um, an alcohol ban in place. It's not a unanimous um, decision by any means, but I think I was listening to um, uh, one of them talk yesterday and he used the term circuit breaker. We kind of need a circuit breaker here in the community because there has been escalating violence mm. and social tensions and um, antisocial behaviour. Are we talking about like a, a complete ban for everyone? The government is being very kind of clear about wanting to tailor this and wanting to listen to different communities in Mm. the NT because it's not just one blanket homogenous community. Different communities have different needs. Mm. Um, But I think, you know, that, that use of the term circuit breaker, there really is a decision now that the government has to make on whether we ban alcohol entirely and then the different communities opt out, as you said. And King Charles will not be featured on the new Australian $5 note. So the Reserve Bank has made the decision in consultation with the government to uh, replace the portrait of Queen Elizabeth with someone representing the culture of Indigenous Australians. I think it's the right decision taken for the right reasons and I welcome it. That was Jim Chalmers, the Treasurer. So the bank's going to work with First Nations communities to come up with a new design, which could take years. So the monarch will still be on the coins, but no longer on... On the notes, um, the $5 was the only note that had the monarch. The rest are mm. um, well-known Australians, including only one Indigenous person, David um, Unipon. Mm. I'm going to widely speculate and create drama here. Is this the beginning of a republic for Australia? Well, that's what... Probably not, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we're on that journey. It's just a question of whether it's years or decades. Yeah. Um, Does anyone actually use money, like actual physical money? I'm going to make a bold prediction and say this won't be that controversial. I mean, it's it's pissing off a few people. Um, Dutton had a swing, um, you know, said this is part of a, a culture war and woke nonsense. I think he actually called it an attack on society. It's a broad claim, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, come on, mate. They're just changing the face of a coin that's been there for 30 years. It's well, not that big a deal. It's well known on this podcast that I don't mind the royals. find them very, very fascinating. But, you know, they're on the coins. Aussie's on the notes. It kind of makes it simple. I just don't really understand the, the timing for this decision necessarily, but I guess they had to probably get it in before the coronation. It might be more awkward to sort of make this point after that. Right, yeah. I mean, look, you'll you'll probably still be seeing Liz on the note for a while because, as you said, you know, the new design's being done in consultation with Indigenous communities, but it's going to be years before it comes out. Yeah. I guess the funny thing is about having them on the coins, like, we're not even using notes anymore, let alone coins. When's the last time you pulled out a coin? I know, that's what I said, I miss them. (laughs) All right, now to our briefing where... You and I keep talking. Love it. 
All right, let's unleash, Jan. So you haven't been here for six months. No. Nah. Tell us about your life. How are you? <laughs> um, I'm very tired mm. because... You mentioned that yesterday. I did. Oh, could... I'm still tired. <laughs> we could say that every day, couldn't we? Yeah, yeah. I identify as tired. <laughs> um, that's, not a my, that's not me saying that. That's a Hannah Gatsby joke, just... To okay. credit where credit's due there. Okay. Yeah, so I basically went off the briefing last year in June because I had a baby. Mm. And um, now I've got a, a, a seven-and-a-half-month-old baby at home. Mm. And there's been so many moments where I've, uh, you know, been sort of walking around the house and I'm like, oh, my God, there's a baby here. <laughs> <laughs> Who's like, baby? Who, who, who is that? And then and then I realised, oh, that's no, that's my baby. That, that baby lives here. Right, okay. So you've been easing your way back into work. You did the ABC mm. TV show Question Everything with Will Anderson, second season. Yeah, second season of QE. Um, easing yourself back into work is not how I would describe it. <laughs> I would describe it as... Shoehorning? Throwing, flinging yourself back into work. I did. I, I went back and did the second season of Question Everything when um, my son was, I think, 10 weeks old. Wow. Yeah, which was quite uh, quite quick getting back into work. But it was something that I committed to uh, when I first signed up to do the show. And to be honest, it was something that I really wanted to do. Mm. You know, it's it's, it's such a fun show. Um, and you've been working hard to get it up in the first place. Yeah. Stoked to get a second season and there you are. Exactly. So, it, it you know, I always knew that it was on the cards um, towards the end of last year. So did everything I possibly could to make that happen. You probably still couldn't help clicking on a few news stories over the last few months. So what are the big things that have still got your attention, even though you've been working not as much as you used to? One is um, all of the gambling reforms that are happening in New South Wales yes. at the moment. And gambling in in general is something that I've kept a close eye on actually for um, a few years now. Mm. So we touched on this with Antoinette on Wednesday, mm. the whole situation with the New South Wales Premier, Dominic Perrottet. He's been the one driving these reforms and the main idea is this cashless gaming card, but the gambling lobby, in particular Clubs New South Wales, have been going very hard and this week it backfired because the boss had to step down after saying that it was all because of Perrottet's religious beliefs. Catholic gut, I think, is what um, um, the, the terminology that he used. That's just, you know, the, the latest kind of mm. unfolding within a story that I think is uh, so much bigger, and that is just how massive and how ubiquitous and how woven into the social fabric of this country... And political fabric. And political fabric of this country um, gambling is. And I don't know if a lot of people really realise um, just how embedded it is, that it's something that feels like it's second nature. Uh, it feels like it's something that is intrinsically connected to community um, because it exists in pubs and clubs. Because it feeds money back into these clubs, which are great meeting places, but also dangerous if you're prone to a gambling problem. Exactly. They're also very much inextricably linked from things like leisure and socialising. So people tend to sometimes gamble during a sporting event. They might hang out together and gamble. And so so it feels like it's something that you're actually doing. Well, you're from Bankstown. The club mm. there's huge. Massive, massive, massive. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I, I grew up in, in South West Sydney. It's funny you should mention that particular suburb because the electorates that actually lose the most money gambling are in South West Sydney and Bankstown is amongst mm. them. And that's another thing. It's the amount of money that Australians lose to gambling. And some of these stats just 
blow my mind. Mm. So we have the highest gambling losses per capita of any country in the world. Okay? So that means that Australians lose more money on an individual basis, I guess you can say, more than citizens of any other country in the world. We are number one. Worst gambling problem in the world. You can say worst gambling problem in the world. Yeah, I mean, if you wanted to interpret it like that, yeah, we have less than 0.5% of the world's population and we have 20% of the world's poker machines. So let me just say that again. It's embarrassing. It's uh, uh, mind-blowing. It's inexplicable. It is unnecessary. And it is embarrassing. 0.5% of the world's population, a fifth of the world's uh, poker machines, right? So there's a a disproportionateness happening there. And to try and tackle it, it's just such a gargantuan problem that it's difficult to see how you can even begin to tackle it. So the Albanese government has introduced uh, what they're calling sort of different taglines at the end of gambling ads, right? Lol, as if that's going to do anything. (laughs) Lol, that should be the tagline. <laughs> that you, You've done it. That should be the tagline. But Because right now the tagline, if, if you see a gambling ad on television or hear it on the radio, there's a tagline at the end that says gamble responsibly, right? They're going to change that to make it a little bit more, I guess, focused on what it is that people may lose. That's lame. That's just like hitting uh, the gambling lobby with a wet lettuce. You know, it's like, oh, here's a bit of a slap. And not even an iceberg one with a bit of stiffness. No, no. I'm talking like rocket, wet rocket. (laughs) A little rocket leaf. (laughs) A little, yeah, a little tap with the rocket leaf. Like, okay, sure. I mean, there was um, a survey that was done by an organisation called Gamble Responsibly in Victoria that found that almost a thousand gambling ads played on free-to-air television a day. Mm. I mean, sure, you can change the tagline of these ads, but when they're playing that often, I think you've got a slightly bigger problem here. So we're suspicious that the whole Nazi costume at Dominic Perrottet's 21st was part of this war, that they released this, given that the person who warned Perrottet about this scandal, the transport minister, David Elliott, was the one who called him about it. And he is the former boss of the Hotels Association and was a director at the Castle Hill RSL. And his son worked at Aristocrat, Mm. the poker machine. So there's a suspicion that it came via him from the club's movement, this skeleton in the closet. As a way to embarrass Don Paraday to knock him off his perch. Something that happened almost 20 years ago. Yeah. So I think the gambling lobby maybe has one more trick up their sleeve before the March election in New South Wales. Oh, okay. The photo. Ah, the photo. You think that they have the photo and they're just waiting. Maybe. I mean, there's just, there's so many shades of f- up, isn't there? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> you know, I don't know what I Are we supposed to be swearing on this podcast? I don't care. That's just the Welcome truth. back. Yeah, thank you. Thanks. Glad <laughs> to be here. Yeah, but I mean, the the, the levels there of, of just everything are just, I, for me, I, I hate the idea of being in an ecosystem where a powerful entity like the gambling lobby or like Hotels um, Australia can drudge up something from your past. To stop progress on something that's really important and will improve people's lives. Yeah, and to be able to refocus it in a way that is that then takes the attention of some of the really uh, messed up realities that they're involved in as well. Look, the fact is that if you wore a Nazi costume at any point, essentially... Like, you're a bit of a dickhead, you know? 
You made a mistake. Yeah, you made a mistake and you need to own up to it and you need to apologise. But I would hate for that to detract or to distract from um, what is happening within the gambling industry in Australia more broadly. Well, we'll move on to someone else who wore a Nazi costume in just one second. Oh, God. I <laughs> Honestly, I didn't choose these topics because of the connection with the Nazi costume. But I, my, my prediction is that, like, Dominic Perrottet was tracking very badly in the polls heading into this election. He's had so many ministers resign. There was the whole Gladys Berejiklian scandal... But if he turns it around, I reckon this is the week where he did it because he stood up for his beliefs. He he didn't back down to the pokies lobby. He was shown to be a man of conviction. And if his Catholic beliefs had any influence on him bringing in this good reform, then great. Mm. Okay, so you have read Spare as well. Spare, the memoir by Prince Harry. I've read it. I finished it last night, actually. What were your thoughts on my thoughts? My thoughts on your thoughts, look, I can see where you're coming from. It's always good to be cynical about these things, right? Like there's always two sides to every story. Mm. There's actually sometimes multiple sides Mm. to stories and, you know, especially stories like this Mm. where there's a lot of people involved. I don't know. I'm a little bit more gracious in my reading of him after the book because I also watched Mm. the documentary. Mm. (laughs) Because, look, I'm a Republican, but I'm also a massive gossip monger. And I want to have a front seat for the fall of the monarchy. So (laughs) I'm all over this stuff, right? So you actually want him to damage the monarchy? Oh, I don't necessarily want him to damage the monarchy, but I think I'd I'd want... I I don't care what England does with the monarchy, to be honest. Like, it's your monarchy. It's not our monarchy. That's where I... Mm, You're you're already in in the republic of your own mind. I'm in in the republic of Jan Franistan. Yes, (laughs) that's right. You know, I don't really have like massively high stakes in whether I care or don't really care that much. But did it? I guess the question is how much, given what we'd already heard, which was a lot from these two, how much did the book change your perception of the whole story? Uh, Yeah, it changed it a little bit, especially I think my my sort of perception of him and some of his reasons for leaving the royal family. And he kind of comes across as someone who is damaged damaged mm. by the death of his mother. Again, I don't know how much he was playing that up for the book. I don't know. I don't know anything about oh, this that's stuff. Oh, that's a... Well, you always have to have a little bit of cynic in you, Tom. <laughs> you know, come on. But from what I'm reading and giving him the benefit of the doubt that he is pouring his heart mm. out to the masses, right? Um, with a little bit of juicing up from the ghostwriter. With a little bit of spruce <laughs> mousse. Yeah, he, he comes across as really damaged from that and yeah. from being in an institution where, I won't give any spoilers away, but there is a, a bit in the book where his dad really throws him under the bus in a way that he's messed up. Oh, I've spoiled most of the pop oh, okay. in that, that right. episode we did it a few weeks ago. But yeah. yeah, there's this story about him that's not true about him being in rehab as a teenager for drug use and it turned out that his dad spun it in his favour to make the public feel sorry for him that he was struggling as a single dad. Yeah, yeah. That's messed up. That's That's got to mess you up a little bit. And I also thought, you know what, this guy has he's, he's got a bit of courage there. He's got a bit of courage and a little bit of bravery to leave the monarchy in such a way, to to leave your country, essentially, to, you know, um, to put up a fight against the media whilst also using the media to your own advantage. So there, there are issues there, but I think, yeah, all right. Mm. Kudos. Now go and do something and shut the f*** up already. (laughs) Yeah, I just feel like, you know what, you guys want to do some good in the world, go ahead. Go ahead and do it. Just do it, you know. You've told your side of the story, you've owned your narrative. I understand that. You want to own your own story. That's all well and good. They certainly own it now with all that money. 
They certainly own it. Yeah, let's see what they do with it. Let's see what they do with it. Do is probably the important verb that they need to focus on now Mm -hmm. rather than talk. Yeah. Yeah, a little less conversation. A little more action. (laughs) All right, great to have you back and um, unleashing in a full briefing episode, Jan. Um, Catch you next Thursday. Thanks, guys. See you soon. All right, that's it from us. Tomorrow in your feed, the weekend briefing with Jamila Rizvi. Jamila, who are you talking to this week? This weekend, I am chatting with Alex Dyson, one of listeners' very own, who a lot of our fans will be familiar with from the Matt and Alex All Day Breakfast podcast. Alex was also a presenter on Triple J for many years before that. But what people might not know about Alex is that he is a seriously well-rounded man of many talents. He is an author of books for kids. He once wrote a column for Girlfriend. He has an ARIA award. He owns and operates a comedy club and he ran for parliament at the Australian election about five years ago. We get into all of that and more. It's a really fun, kind of goes everywhere chat. (laughs) Look forward to that. He is a real renaissance man, Alex Dyson. I'm a huge fan of his work. Um, yeah, interested to see his children's book as well. I might read it to my son. Big thank you to the hardworking briefing team that make this podcast possible. Executive producer Dan Mullins, producers Nicole Castles, Helen Smith, Eleanor Harrison, Dengate, um, our socials team Sarah Boll and Poppy Manzi, and our wonderful editor Matt Cuz Curry. Listener.